This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Trey Stout, co-founder and CTO of Handwriting.io and Scribble Chat. How are you doing, Trey? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ed. So, Trey, let's uh, get a little background about you. What, what have you uh, been doing in uh, software development and um, what are you working on these days? Sure thing. Uh, so I've been programming since I was about 12, started on an Apple II, um, started my first company at 19 while I was still in college, basically building websites for the first dot-com bubble. Uh, eventually turned that into you know finding some people interested in building larger systems than I was doing on spec, uh, sort of stumbled my way into the startup scene, uh, essentially you know, worked for some larger companies in the West Coast, lived in Seattle for six years, worked for Boeing, Microsoft, Real Networks, Nokia. Uh, past five years, I've been in New York, uh, did a couple of years in ad tech, and then most recently in personalization space. Uh, Handwriting.io has a B2B SaaS application for sending any type of Unicode text over to us, and then we send you back either vectorized or rasterized handwriting. Uh, so we've got some Fortune 500 partners. You may have seen some of our tech in use. Uh, most recently, back on March 1st, we launched our first consumer product, which is called Scribble Chat, using our handwriting tech on the iPhone for communication and chat. So you're doing some interesting things with handwriting. Um, tell us a little bit more about uh, handwriting.io. Like, what does that product or service do? Sure. Uh, really, it attempts to replicate the nuance of handwriting. Uh, a lot of people have attempted this with generic font systems, like everyone's probably gotten an email from their grandma with a sort of uh, hokey script font in the footer in purple or something. Uh, that sort of represents the best case for font systems where, uh, you know, size is at a premium. So for that, you know, someone's designer is going to sit down and make a lowercase r for his font, and that's what every lowercase r looks like. Uh, for bonus points, you can go in and make what are called ligatures which are those nice little combinations for a double T, maybe my, the T's might share a crossbar, et cetera. Um, but that's actually just another code point for the font. So you got lowercase T and then you got a double T. Uh, so the only representations for that font or the only representations it can ever have are what the designer made. Uh, where our system differs is we sort of build up a database of multiple samples of a person's handwriting. So one of our quote unquote fonts might have 17 lowercase r's in it from when you wrote them in different circumstances, such as at the beginning of a word or you know right after a C, right after a Q, et cetera. So th this system learns about your handwriting and then you can get that out in some sort of API? Exactly right. Uh, so it sort of learns from your handwriting, but it also has the benefit of learning from all handwriting ever. So sort of watching how people, uh, what you call legating a stroke or stitching a stroke together, where in cursive, you know, you say do a lowercase c and it's leading into an h. Uh, you know about the egress from the c and the ingress to the h and how to best create a natural looking stitch between those. Uh, some of that you learn from the author itself, but the rest you learn from every author we've ever observed. Interesting. And, and how, is, uh, how is Scribble Chat different from handwriting.io? Ah, Scribble Chat represents a, a pretty huge leap for us. Uh, we've been successful since we launched the original API in 2015, uh, and it's basically a web service. Like you send us a 
pretty much all the information necessary in a single URL. So you tell us you want a PDF and you want it in this handwriting and you want it to say, happy birthday, mom, and you want it this size. Uh, we'll send you back you know, a vector of that. Uh, it's all server side and really wanted to get to where people are actually communicating to the order of hundreds of millions of messages a day. And that tends to not be in direct mail, it tends to be where we're all messaging each other in iMessage, Facebook Messenger, SMS, etc. cetera. Uh, so, you know, funny story there, I actually came up with the prototype of this idea in the hospital uh, while my son was being born. My wife was in labor for a pretty long time and I had my laptop there and banged out a quick little chat prototype using our API and quickly discovered that the latency, even if you had zero milliseconds to turn handwriting into an image, uh, just going around the net like that would, would never work for something uh, like, you know, live communication. So we went through a, quite a bit of work to retrofit our handwriting algorithms to work client side and to work in basically high speed, near instantaneously. And that involved quite a few changes uh, that we've actually applied for a couple patents for. Uh, so we'll know if we're going to get those awarded around August. So the, the process of taking somebody's handwriting and, and turning it into a service like this sounds like quite a uh, difficult task when you get deep down to it. So let, let's talk a little bit about the technology behind uh, these services that you offer. Like what, what kind of stacks are you using? Like what kind of, um, you know, tech are you building on top of? Sure. Uh, the original prototype for the handwriting engine was written in Mathematica. Uh, it was never meant to be consumerized. It was more of a proof of concept that this was possible. Uh, handwriting capture, as we called the process, was actually filling out a very specific sort of Scantron compatible sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11, you wrote in the boxes. Uh, somebody had to manually scan it, uh, you know, high DPI, and go in and break up the graphic manually. Uh, so if they ask you to write the word cheese, for instance, someone has to go in and say, all of this part of the image is the C, all of this part is the H, here's two E's, uh, and basically build up a database that way. And so that was effectively you know, building a ransom note algorithm so you could cut chunks out of something people had written before and stitch it back together. Uh, some of the most interesting insights there were just around how to know what letters were sampled and where they began and ended. But that sort of, uh, that was human knowledge that had to be put into code. You couldn't really express that very easily at the beginning. Um, the first productized version of that was uh, done in Java and then it had a Ruby on Rails framework on top of it. Its most recent incarnation since I came to the company was to rewrite it in Go, uh, which I understand is not the most popular language uh, amongst our industry, but I think there's reasons it will become one of the top players. Uh, namely, it was very easy to get the entire team productive on it, whether they had a month of experience or 20 years of experience. And secondly, the portability. We rewrote the rendering engine once. It now runs in AWS, serving the, the backend for all of the, our SaaS offering. It also runs on the iPhone and it runs on Android with minimal code changes. So that's that's uh, really interesting to hear because uh, I come from a Microsoft.NET stack background and I hear a lot of success stories about Microsoft and then there's you know the JavaScript community and they have Node and, and there's a, a lot of activity around that ecosystem these days. Uh, so it's, it's nice to hear a change of pace and hear some interesting stuff about Go and see some... Uh, large-scale applications being built on that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of which sort of ecosystem or which game colors you claim uh, sort of comes from how you started, right? So if you grew up in a Microsoft shop learning ASP.NET or before .NET even, 
uh, you're going to sort of stick to what you know. And similarly, the first time I got to touch anything cool was a Solaris box in university on a, on a crappy terminal. Uh, so Unix was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, so my first experience to Microsoft was more free cell and calculator um, and just didn't take it seriously for my young programmer mind. Uh, the good news is, is we all mature and we can actually compare these solutions to each other. You know, the good ones pop out. Like obviously a lot of successful products are built on the Microsoft stack and the Unix stack. Uh, what I kind of love about Go is really just the philosophy. And I've always kind of chosen the tech stack against my, my biases based on uh, things the inventor says and how much my philosophy aligns with theirs. Um, for instance, I liked Python for a very long time, mostly because of things Guido von Rosen said about how to build systems. Uh, I like Unix because of things Dennis Ritchie and Rob Pike say. Uh, and Microsoft never offered that sort of person up for me in the same way. Maybe they were there, uh, just didn't see it. So as far as the purpose coming from not so much the developer anymore, but from an engineering leader, Go offers things that a lot of other ecosystems don't. Uh, as opposed to having 25 pages of features, something like Rust, the language might have, uh, it is very simple and very understandable and very small. Like the surface area that's needed to do something productive is tiny, uh, which is something I always liked about the original C programming manual, things like under 200 pages. You compare that to Java beanlets or whatever's going on, it's like a 900 page doorstop. Uh, so I love that simplicity because it causes architectural simplicity and it means that the 20 year old or the, the dev with 20 years of experience can be understood by the dev with two weeks of experience. That's an interesting perspective. Um, I don't think we've had that offered up on the show before. That's really cool. Um, I, I also heard you mention some things about cross-platform in there. Um, so you're, you're building applications with Go and you're able to cross uh, target cross-platform like iOS and Android and desktop? Yeah, uh, it's actually kind of a surprising feature that came out of it. Uh, also, due to its simplicity, it becomes easy to port Go to other languages because it doesn't have to bring along 50 new concepts and invented. Um, one thing that makes it really, you know, we, we can't claim credit for that. There's a product in Go called Go Mobile that lets you take your code and basically say, I want to compile this as a iOS Swift framework, and there you go. Uh, seriously, in an afternoon, even if you've never used Go, you could go write a function that takes two integers and returns their sum and expose that to Android and iOS and have sample mobile projects natively running. I'm not talking about like a JavaScript shim middleware phone gap thing. I mean native applications that just run on the phone that are calling your Go code. Uh, you can do that with no experience in an afternoon. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And the reason I brought it up is um, we're, we're actually involved uh, with progress in two different technologies that, that do a similar thing. So uh, Microsoft has... Uh, Xamarin, which lets you write mm -hmm. C Sharp and uh, XAML and do cross-platform development in uh, the Microsoft technologies. Okay. And Progress has its very own uh, technology called NativeScript. So you write CSS, JavaScript, and XML, mm -hmm. and then those applications are cross-compiled into native iOS and Android applications without any use of the uh, web view, like you said. Right. So now we've got this uh, uh, third technology that you're talking about where you've got Go that's doing this cross-platform targeting. So it's, it's really interesting to see each ecosystem picking up these different tools to do very similar activity. Right. 
uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an obvious gold rush on for somebody to invent the sort of holy grail language where you write something once and it runs on you know 6,000 devices. Uh, <laughs> and of course, we all want that. Uh, it really just comes down to you know what trade-offs you're willing to make. Uh, it, it's much easier to hire a dev who understands JavaScript and CSS than it is for somebody who's got five years of BlackBerry coding experience. Um, so I think widening, widening the talent pool is part of the interest here. Uh, but of course, anytime you widen that funnel, you're sort of reducing the capabilities of what you're building. So uh, what's the right way to say that? The, the wider the application has to, to land, uh, the more generic it has to be. So you, you know, if you're not writing specifically for an iPhone 5 with that GPU, then you're going to have to do something generic that works on all of them. Uh, so I think it's always a trade-off, and it just comes down to making these engineering decisions on you know, where's the target market, what devices do they use, uh, can I hire enough people to build something in a timely manner to extract some value from the market uh, before I just hire a bunch of engineers to basically re-architect some big nightmare that I can't sell? Yeah, there's there's always folks that get a little weary of these different uh, competitive solutions to this. And uh, there, there really isn't one right answer, in my opinion. So, you know, you found success with Go, and I'm sure that uh, uh, shops that have a large... Um, web development uh, team aren't going to jump to something like Go or, or Xamarin to do cross-platform development. They might use something like NativeScript. So a lot of it has to do with who's currently on your team or, like you said, uh, what's the talent pool like. Uh, sure. And that can be area by area, too. I mean, uh, software development, there there is quite a bit of um, uh, remote working involved, but... You know, state by state, uh, city by city even, you find a lot of diversity in um, what type of technologies are there. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, nobody intended it to be, but JavaScript is sort of the runtime of the whole world now. Um, it's unfortunate that it became JavaScript, but it is sort of this, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like Esperanto, like everybody can speak enough of it to sort of get something done. Um, but yeah, I don't think anybody would have chosen that as the de facto language of the web. Uh, just sort of happened. Yeah, I, I think there may be some people that that will disagree with you on that. However, I, I feel like uh, like you're speaking my language here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lot of it just comes down to it's uh, you know the, the developers listening to this won't love me for this opinion, but it just comes down to you know you don't get to write software unless somebody's paying you to do it for some reason they can extract money from the market. Um, so as fun as it is to uh, you know, on the research side to come up with the ultimate platform. Uh, if it costs more than something I can throw together with web tech uh, that I can hire people to work on tomorrow, uh, it's probably going to lose, you know, even if your product's 10 times better. Uh, if I can get it to market more quickly and capture that customer base, you're going to have a hard time catching me. Uh, so a lot of it just comes down to this wide platform that everybody can understand. Absolutely. Um, speaking of uh, these open platforms, um, is, is there anything that uh, you're doing with handwriting, I.O., or uh, Scribble Chat that's in the open source space? Uh, yeah, it's actually something I'm very excited about. Um, to continue making people doubt my sanity, uh, the stack of Scribble Chat is, is pretty out there. Uh, so we already covered how Go and the handwriting engine works inside of it. Uh, the rest of it is native Swift. Uh, we've actually outsourced, you know, the authorization handling to Auth0. Uh, the communication stack is handled by Twilio. Uh, and all of the visuals you see in our app when you launch it and see the animated chat with handwriting is actually a web view running in uh, WebGL. 
Um, so what's actually really cool about that is the, the visual aspects of what you're seeing in chat are all side-loaded from a CDN. So you don't need to do an app update to ship new effects or to fix bugs in the display portion of the application. Uh, the biggest piece that really opens it up is later this year we'll be releasing a JavaScript SDK to create new effects for our app that require no privilege access, meaning you know somebody in Europe or Africa or wherever who's never had an iPhone or an Android phone could actually design effects for this using nothing but Chrome or Safari, put them into our platform and actually make money from that wherever they are if somebody wants to use those effects. So of course the SDK will be open source, it's JavaScript, you'll get you know, the full specs for how our animation engine works. Uh, hand running would be provided to you, the developer, to do with what you will, uh, basically as a 3D mesh. So you wanna make some text that comes out handwritten but then waves like a flag. Uh, if you know how to write that up, then you'll be able to participate in our platform. So you're, you're opening a new type of ecosystem here then? Uh, exactly, very much trying to do that. Uh, so it's, it's earliest stages. Uh, right now we just have a few uh, you know, friendly developers, friends of the company, we're sort of showing our, uh, the surface area of our object system for how to build these effects. And we can't standardize it right now. The app just came out like a week ago. Uh, so it's pretty far from standardization and it grows two or three method calls uh, basically a week at this point. Uh, so we'll wait till that stabilizes a bit. But yes, essentially uh, what I want to do is democratize how those emoji and sticker packs get into an app. So you don't have to be a sort of elite visual designer working for Snap Inc. to put cool new stickers in chat. If you can make something people want to use, uh, be much more similar to sort of uh, like a GIF culture on the web prior to Giphy. So do you see like what type of uh, applications people are building with this? Uh, are there some really like unique examples of how this is being used that you could share? Uh, it's a little too early to tell. So, I mean, uh, again, the app just launched, you know, a couple of weeks or sorry, the first, I forget. So it's been up uh, 13 days. So you're, you're pretty fresh to market on this one. Very fresh to market, yeah. And, and the point where individual devs can build their own effects, we're still at the very earliest stages of that. Uh, essentially, I've been using private contractors to say, here's a spec, here's how it works, write this in a browser, and then we include it in the phone to see how well it works. And then basically debug that process working with external devs. So for, for the short term, you're seeing like chat systems and um, like instant messaging type of right. systems using this. Uh, um, but you could take the APIs and kind of build this into other types of applications as well? Oh, correct. Yeah, that's more on the handwriting I.O. side. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, we've been integrated in e-commerce, uh, shipping and fulfillment, uh, hospitality, insurance companies, bank statements, pretty much anywhere you want to add a personal touch. Uh, you, I mean, you have companies say, let's take a top bank, they're going to send out, you know, 50,000 account statements a month, maybe, for their, you know, people that have invested with them. And each one of those accounts has some sort of summary, has some sort of statistical insight that maybe machine learning could sort of help. Like, hey, maybe you need to diversify more, you're kind of into foreign steel too much. Uh, but next to that note, you know, they have an account manager and putting those little notes in some font that the designer chose doesn't have the same impact as doing it in handwriting. So really letting systems or letting companies with large amounts of data add a personal touch back to their communication is, uh, is where we've provided quite a bit of value. 
But we've seen that. Uh, we also hired an intern a couple years ago because he rigged up something to turn his text messages into handwriting before he sent them to his girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> so you know, there's, there's little ideas like that too. He's now a full-time employee, uh, one of a, a fantastic ones. So it does not take long to sit down and build something where you want to add a little bit of personal touch to something. Uh, basically any Unicode text that comes over the wire, we can do as handwriting. Uh, and I mean any Unicode. If somebody wants to volunteer to handwrite the whole Cherokee alphabet, um, we'd be happy to have them in the office to do that. I, th I think the real question here is, did it work? Did he get, did he get the girl? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, answer that? <laughs> no, she was at our Christmas party. I assume it worked really well. <laughs> so do you have any advice for people that would like to get started with the handwriting IO or check out scribble chat? Like where can we find links or Definitely. maybe GitHub projects to get started? Sure. Uh, yeah, we take our documentation very seriously as uh, you know, our product is a dev tool. So, uh, being devs ourselves, we know what we want to see when we look for demos and documentation and sample code. Uh, so handwriting.io is the website. Uh, handwriting.io slash demo, there's a full live in-browser demo of turning text into handwriting. Uh, along with pretty much every API option and flag you have is done interactively there. Uh, also, we went to great lengths to ensure that all the example images in our docs, if you click one, takes you back to the demo with all the same settings. Uh, so it makes it very easy for developers to get a feel of what their API call is going to look like in the browser and you know, even get marketing approval before they actually go build a bunch of code. Uh, it generates sample code in a variety of languages, including .NET. Uh, we also have community contributed drivers for several languages that are all in GitHub. But again, all of that info can be found at handwriting.io. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear about your project if you're building something out. Um, can even, you know, for developers that just want to try something, we have a really cheap plan to get the watermarks off the images. Uh, so yeah, just, just contact us and we'd be happy to help you out. So Trey, I'm looking at the getscribblechat.com website right now. And this is the, like, uh, the web, the homepage for the scribble chat application. And there's quite a bit of like animation going on inside of the chat program. So like, you know, this doesn't look like your normal chat interaction can you uh, you know elaborate a little bit on what's going on in the chat window yeah definitely uh essentially this is what i was just describing with the sort of hair-brained architecture uh but what it's capable of is actually pretty impressive here uh so in doing research across chat applications basically everywhere in the world uh they all kind of have each other's features they can let you order pizza without leaving the app or find an Uber or get movie times. They all have sticker packs, gift search, emoji packs. Uh, they all basically have everything that everyone else has. What they all kind of neglected though, in our opinion, was they're still putting your text in the same font in a colored bubble. And they pretty much all do this. I mean, I could cite you 15 examples of, if we start texting now, it's just gonna be text blocks and bubbles and they're gonna be colored. That's all they do. And coming from the handwriting aspect, we'd seen how much impact it had in you know, SaaS or more traditional desktop software. And we really wanted to bring that same sort of internet, something to where people were actually talking all day long, which is on their phones. So while you're seeing all that animation is basically cause we can. Uh, we feel like you can make a much more engaging, personalized experience if you're sort of freed from what we call the Helvetica bubble jail. Uh, your message does not need to be confined to that bubble. Emojis sort of do an okay job, but they're really just putting like lipstick and earrings on your message. They're not fundamentally changing how it lands. So if I say, I just got the job, Ed, 
over text, I want to show that with the same sort of exuberance of, uh, you know, that it really warrants. And a few smiley faces after it are kind of like a, a hack job, really. So what you're looking at is really a game engine. Like we're using full WebGL to draw the whole campus, which frees us of all the sort of uh, the tyranny of 2D rectangles that every other app is uh, sort of locked into. So that's that's an interesting point. So you've you've taken a game engine, and instead of using it for its intended purpose, a video game, you've used its strengths to create like the the most freeform chat application you could create. That's exactly right. We wanted full sixty frames a second, you know, HD control over what the presentation layer was doing, uh, and really, it's only possible with modern phones, right? The the investment in mobile GPUs is starting to really pay off. And the only people capitalizing it on are games. I mean, there's two types of apps you're going to download. Something that takes over the whole screen and has high scores at the top and has its own sort of thrown together GUI, or it's going to be built on system libraries. Like you're going to get the same table view, scroll view as everybody else. And we really wanted to have the productivity app sort of done with full visual control so we could make the most of the handwriting library. Um, and really, I think it just comes down to like, why are people chatting so much? Uh, and to me personally, it comes down to, uh, you're, you're sharing information and generally you're sharing either joy or pain. And if you share joy, it tends to grow. And if you share pain, it tends to lessen. So I think we're all sending millions of messages to each other across the planet every day because of that exact reason. Like I want to communicate and I want my joy increased and my pain lessened and text in a bubble doesn't do it. Something else is needed. Something has to come after 2d rectangles of gifs and emoji. Uh, and, and I, hopefully this is it. Yeah, one thing I really appreciate about our industry is the, the creativeness of it and the, you know, being able to think outside the box and solve problems. So it's, it's really been a fun conversation to talk about, you know, these new problems that you guys have discovered and you're trying to, uh, solve those with a unique, uh, perspective on it. Um, things like taking a game engine and using it, uh, for something like a chat application. I find that just fascinating. So it's it's been a pleasure talking to you, Trey. Um, we'll take uh, all of the links that you talked about, and we'll put those in the show notes. Okay. And people can find those at developer.telerik.com. And uh, we've, we'll include the things uh, with GitHub and uh, anything else on the show here. Uh, so people can go find those resources, get started with with handwriting.io or or check out Scribble Chat. Um, we'll also throw some links in there for native scripts if you're interested in building cross-platform apps using JavaScript and uh, XML. Um, Trey, once again, thanks a lot for being on the show. Uh, yeah. Some really, really cool stuff that you guys have going on there. Excellent. My pleasure, Ed. Thank you very much.